needs to be said on a weekend like this? Well, you know what the political people said. You know what the mayors said. You know what the various governors said. What, what should a pastor say on a weekend like this? More specifically, what does God say to us, particularly about a civil government? Does he care? What are his expectations of the government at the various levels in the United States? Well, obviously, I'm not going to answer all those questions, but I'll at least play with them a little bit with you. And so now I'm ready to read Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let's break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them, and he rebukes them in his anger, and he terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, your kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. Check this, if you will, later. I believe that of all the Psalms that are quoted in the New Testament, this one is quoted more often than any other. And you might read it if you haven't thought about this Psalm for a long time. You might read it and say, well, well who's this earthly king? What's going on in this Psalm? But if you read the New Testament quotations, you see that the New Testament writers saw something vastly different from that. They saw Jesus the Messiah in this psalm, perhaps more than in any of the other psalms. And they saw that this Messiah had everything to do with the civil rulers of the age. And so they start with this question, why is it that civil rulers rebel against God? Why is it they try to declare their independence from the God who created them? And then this image of God just laughing at them. You who think you're strong and you're weak in relation to me, rebuking them and saying this, I have installed my king you think about that. When Jesus walked out of the grave, 
he was installed as the king over all. And we'll talk a lot about that in the next few minutes. He says, you're my son. Today I become your father. There's something about, well, of course, the Messiah has always been God, part of the Trinity. But something happened by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that brings that to a new dimension that's described here as having Jesus, the king, installed. And declaring, you are my son. I have become your father. Ask of me, I'll make the nations your inheritance. And it goes on and suggests that the Christ is now the ruler over everything. And then the application, verse 11. Wait a minute, kings, be wise. <laughs> you need to serve the Lord. And then this very powerful image, kiss the son. Kiss the ruler. Show your worship to the one who is over all. And then blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's us, right? Now, you've just had your exposition of the psalm. I'm not going to go back verse by verse beyond that. But I'm going to try to make some sense of that, of how that relates to the 21st century. My desire tonight is to get you to think about Jesus as a king. You think a lot about Jesus as a savior. But I want you to think tonight about Jesus as a king. And then to think a bit about where our particular government fits in relation to this Jesus. Now, I admit the sermon title is a little far out. Two kings, Barak and Jesus. And I'm not referring to Barak in the Old Testament. I'm referring to Barack Obama in that. Uh, we don't really know a King Barack, do we? We don't usually think of Barack Obama as a king, and yet he's as close as we come to having a king, isn't he? In our system, it's the combination of the legislative and the executive and the judicial that together function as our king. We have earthly leaders. And this text says we also have an ultimate leader, King Jesus. So let's start building the pyramid now. And the first layer, the foundation of this pyramid that we're going to be looking at tonight is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. There's, there's what everything else that we know as reality builds upon. He's the one who gives meaning to life. Give you some reinforcement. Colossians 1 verse 15 says... He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That, that, how are you going to get your arm around that passage? Yeah. How do you grasp that? That in this Bible passage, Jesus is described as the creator 
and is the one who unites everything. Things hold together because of Jesus. That he's the starting point in the description of reality. And that he does so as God's representative. Jesus himself said at the end of life, in what we know as the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What's that all mean? It's no wonder that when Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians in the first chapter, here's what he prayed. He talked about power. He says that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. I want you to see in the foundation of this pyramid of reality that Jesus Christ is the king of the universe. That's what the scriptures teach. He's the king of individuals like you and me. He's the king over families like the one I enjoyed on Friday. He's the king over social organizations, over schools, over churches, over states, over any other grouping that you can think of. No exceptions. The scripture teaches Jesus is the king. Okay, once we begin to grasp that, then we can go on to the second layer. And the second layer is the Bible. Because the Bible is our primary way of knowing God and knowing Christ. Not the only way. We know a lot from creation around us, don't we? But primarily we know from the Bible who this person is who is the foundation of our reality. The Apostle Paul said it in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul is saying, if you want to understand what it means that Jesus is the foundation of everything, you go to the scriptures and see what the scripture teaches about this. And the Bible talks a lot about the major areas of life, including civil government. I want to illustrate this by one Old Testament passage and one New Testament passage. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 17, 14, the Israelites are getting ready to move into the promised land, and here are the instructions. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us, like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you the king, the Lord your God, chooses. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. 
taken from that of the priests who are Levites. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. So as Israel was becoming a nation which included you know, all kinds of things, including civil government, here were the instructions about the place of the civil ruler in their midst. But that's Old Testament. Let's go to the New. How does it shift and what happens then? Well, Romans 13 is the most complete passage about this. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So when we ask, how is government supposed to work in this country? We have to go back to the Bible and ask that question. I talked with this morning with a man originally from China who has just come back from three weeks in China talking to me about what he learned about the churches and some increasing persecution in some parts of that land. Well, those Chinese folks have to ask, what does the Bible say about government in China? And we have to ask, what's the Bible say about government in the United States? Well, let's add a third layer. The word I've chosen for the third layer is the word kingdom. Now, when I say Jesus, you, have, you, you know a lot. When I say Bible, you know a lot. But when you say kingdom, that's, that's a foreign thought to us as Americans. Our knowledge of kings and kingdoms comes from history books and fairy tales. And what, what is kingdom? Well, don't think of it geographically. Don't think of it as the distance from here to Morning Sun, Iowa, which is about 230 miles. That, you can't think kingdom in terms of distances. You think of it in terms of God's function of reigning or ruling. You think of it as God being over a realm. Think of it as the way Jesus talked a lot about kingdom. He never gave a definition, but we can draw a definition from, you know, Jesus said so many things in the Gospels about it. I would suggest a kingdom is a union of people mutually related to God. Not geography, but a set of people who are connected in some way back to the God who's created them. This kingdom. And what I want you to see tonight is that this kingship of Jesus, this reign and rule of the Christ, is, it's broader than the church. It's not just us sitting here this evening. We ought not to think of the church or of the kingdom as a, a cage with Jesus locked inside. He's, he's the ruler of far more than the church. That's what this kingdom idea has to say. 
the Christ that Christians worship as king on Sunday morning and Sunday evening claims authority not just over the church, but over every area of life. And so the idea that Christ is not interested in your work, that's a false idea. Yeah, the idea that Christ can somehow be shut out of national affairs and government is a heresy. Because the kingdom of Jesus, the rule of Jesus Christ, is total. Indeed, we could speak of him as a dictator. His rule is totalitarian. He told us in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to give first place to his kingdom and to what he requires. Kingdom. Very, very broad. Okay, level four. And, you know, the word I've chosen, spheres, you might choose a different word. What, I, what I'm trying to say is that the kingship of Jesus touches over every area or sphere of life. And it's the task of Christians to make this visible in every area of life. So that Jesus rules over science. And if you're a scientist, it's your challenge to manifest Christ in your sphere. I, I'm not in a position to tell you how to do that. I'm just saying that's the challenge before you. That science is a sphere inside the kingdom, under the rule of Christ. The home is also a sphere. And so you families are to make the reign of Christ as king visible in your homes. We have heard in this church for generations that education is another sphere. That in this sphere, teachers and students and administrators must take their orders from Jesus. Remember what the big story was this week? How could you forget it since last Monday morning when the Supreme Court made a ruling? And you heard an outcry Monday, and it got louder Tuesday, and louder Wednesday, and louder Thursday, and I, I suppose it hasn't calmed down. I won't for a long time. What? What happened? Well, a lot of things happened with that Hobby Lobby rule, ruling, but certainly the thing that I think happened that's most significant is that the question of God being over business is being discussed like I never remember it being discussed before in my life. The rule of God in relation to government maybe has been discussed this last week like I don't know if I've ever heard this much discussion before. Whatever you think of the nuances of the Hobby Lobby ruling by the Supreme Court, and whether you're saddened by it or rejoicing in it or or think, you know, the law is the beginning of the millennium, or however your, whatever your attitude is toward it, what the scripture says is that business is a sphere in the kingdom, and that business is somehow to be made visibly part of the kingdom of Jesus. That government is one of the spheres, and somehow government is to be brought under the kingship of Jesus. I'm not so bold as to tell you how to do that. 
There are many spheres of life, and each is responsible to the Christ. There's no area of this life in which this Messiah does not say, mine. Now, the primary spheres, as we've heard for so long, are the family, the church, and the state. But we have all these others. These three great institutions are independent of one another. They differ in purpose and methods, but they are all to be visibly under the Lordship of Christ. How do you do that in a multicultural nation like our own? We can stand out there after the service and talk about how to do that. We might have as many different opinions as there are among us here tonight. But that we are to do it seems very, very clear from the scriptures. Let me draw to the conclusion. You and I live in many areas or spheres. We live in families. We live in church. We live in a state. We're under the governments of the USA and its various levels. And in every area of life, our sinful side encourages us to declare independence from Jesus, to run our own lives. But our Christian side tells us that we have a king, and the name of that king is Jesus. My wife is in a small group, and her leader sent her a devotional on Friday reflecting on the 4th of July as a Christian. And the gist of the devotional was that when it comes to Christian things, we are not seeking our independence. We are dependent upon God in every aspect of life. So we start with Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is all about sinful rebellion. It's all about declaring independence from God. And it's all about the coming of Jesus, the Christ. Psalm 2 calls him the Anointed One. It's a call for us to submit to Jesus in every area of life. And remember, it specifically mentions our civil rulers. At verse 10, therefore you kings be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. Lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Well, it's not easy to know what that means in the year 2014 in the United States of America with all the complexities of our people. But we have to draw from the principles of the Bible when we think about governing this wonderful nation that we're in. Surely King Jesus would affirm that people in our nation should be treated equally under the law. Surely King Jesus would affirm our attempt to provide a just society that's based on law. And it's not subject to the ever-changing values of people in our generation. There's much that's been wrong in our country. 
there's also much that's been right for the last 238 years. And so on this 4th of July weekend, we thank God for his mercy and for his grace to the United States. But we still live in Psalm 2. A lot is still wrong. And so we continue to long for a wonderful day that hasn't arrived yet. It's described in Psalm in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God 